Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibbevoise. Brent Wilsey will be joining us once again from Wilsey Asset Management to share his tips, tools, and techniques on where the smart money goes and how to cover your assets right here on Business Soup, where business comes for business. From the Wilsey Asset Management and from your smart investing radio show at 97.3, The Fan, Brent, welcome back to Business Soup. Well, John, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So good to be back. All right. So what's bouncing around in this pandemic arena, as I like to say, is something that you've addressed in your postings and your programs is this new norm or the new normal. What does the new norm mean and what does it mean to you? You know, John, it's so funny because people come up with these things like, oh, and I was watching this thing today about how the new norm is no one's going to go to the office and, and all these things are changing. So there's going to be changes but people always overhype things. We are going to keep going to the office. I'm even seeing more people now. And I don't know about you, but I go on the freeways. It's like, wow, there's a lot more cars on the freeway. So we will get back to a new normal that people don't realize what it is yet. But it's not going to be that different. I think we could have on the office side, eh, maybe 10% less people will be going to the office. And I say that for a couple of reasons. John, can you imagine a life where you wake up in the morning, you eat breakfast, you start your work, you order from Amazon or someplace else to get clothes or something. Then it's dinner time. You order from a restaurant and then you go to bed. You start the same thing the next day. That is not going to be the norm. I'm sorry. We need to get out and start seeing people and we will do that. But I think there will be a little bit more to it. And commercial properties, they will change somewhat. But it's not to the magnitude that people think it's going to be. It's going to be somewhere in between the hype and somewhere between where we are now. Well, all right. Somewhere between that would be 50 percent. <laughs> Not quite 50. I, I think it's going to be more about 20 percent, to be honest with you. <laughs> so if I have a restaurant, which is the most prolific small business out there, and that's who my audience are, they're restaurant owners, they're small business owners, and they make up the bulk of the gross domestic production. It's been a rather inconvenient selection as to who can be and not be in business. And restaurants have that slippery slope where some of them are in business, some of them are not. Are we looking at coming back at where the someone is going to make a decision as to this is the new norm? You can't have 200 people in your facility, maybe what my restaurant is rated at. Now you have to have, with social distancing, now you can only have 100 people in my restaurant. How am I supposed to operate my business in this new norm when my business model says I can operate it at a certain level, say 200, and now it's maybe 50% or 70% is my maximum operating capacity? How am I supposed to do business and stay profitable with that type of new norm? We will see the restaurant industry change somewhat, and I think it's not going to change for good. I think eventually this whole thing's going to go away, but I, I could be wrong on that. But what we're going to see in the restaurant, such things as that, like right now, or used to be you go in the restaurant, you go to the front receptionist, you say, I'm here, okay, have a seat, you know, we'll, we'll get to you. Now what's going to happen is probably a lot more is going to be technology-wise. You might text them from your car, say, I'm here. They'll say, okay, we'll text you back when your table's ready. So you're not going to go to the lobby, wait any longer. You're going to wait in your car until they call you in. Then you're going to go into the restaurant, and I think you're going to see these plexiglass barriers between a lot of tables. It's going to be a little bit of expense for, for companies, but also, too, they, they can amortize expense over time, and it's not like, oh, you're going to pay $10,000 right away. They can pay for that over time. But 
you're going to see, I think, these plastic barriers between tables. Now, it's not a terrible thing because at nighttime, you have the lights on and so forth. I think it can make the restaurant look, the ambiance look a little bit better because the lights will kind of flicker off of the plexiglass. It's going to keep you away from your neighbor so you don't have your table six feet apart if you've got these plexiglasses. So you're looking at creative ways in which they can have this social distancing with barriers as opposed to an actual physical distance between the tables. Exactly. And when your your waiter comes, you may not know who they are because obviously they will be wearing a mask. So there is ways around it. I think 50% cut might be too much. I think they might be able to do it down to a 70 or 80% cut. Um, But one thing I think they may have to do eventually is perhaps raise prices a little bit. Because, again, they want to get back to making a profit. And I've heard restaurateurs say now, if I can just break even and get my customers back, I'd be happy. But what's about 2021? Well, at that point, we may have to see prices increase because they're not going to have the same number of people they had before. And the other thing they can do as well is they can extend their dining hours. They can have them like 4 to 10. Some restaurants, they close at 9 o'clock. Well, maybe now they'll stay up until 10. Some start serving dinner at 5, maybe start at 4. So there's some things they can do. We won't get right back to where we were before, but I think we can come pretty darn close after a little bit of time. Do you think that any of these restaurants or small businesses in general will be looking at these restrictions as an opportunity to renegotiate on their leases or have these improvements amortized or factored into their lease and have the landlord do those separations and incorporate that into the lease? John, that's a great point. I mean, if you have a lease coming up in six months, you might be in the driver's seat. If you have a lease coming up in two, three years, you might be kind of stuck doing it yourself. But that's a great point to bring up because that landlord wants you to obviously renew that lease. They understand your situation. So it might be a combination of two. Maybe instead of doing a five-year lease, it might say, okay, well, we'll do that. But can you sign a six-year lease so we can recoup some of those costs? So there's going to be some fancy negotiations going on. But I, I have a lot of faith in America, small business and entrepreneurs that will come up with some great things, things we haven't even thought of yet. I personally have been experiencing where tenants have been calling and asking me for a forbearance on rent, not completely, but a discount in light of this. Some of them didn't really need it, but they were seizing the opportunity. As a landlord, how would you qualify someone calling you up and saying, hey, the president said I don't have to pay my rent? (laughs) Well, I'm laughing about that because the president never said you don't have to pay your rent. You have to pay your rent eventually. You have to somehow work it out. It's not like old free rent across the country. So what you have to do is you have to come up with some type of deal saying, look, we can give you no rent for a month or two. And what we can do is maybe, you know, take that over the next uh, six, 12 months. We'll pay it back over that time frame. So the person that you help them through a difficult time, they can make it through there. But now things are rolling again. You, you got to make it up because you as a landlord or whoever the landlord is, Many times they have to pay the bank, the mortgage. So you can't just not pay it, but there's deals can be done to make it better. And we do have the PPP that came out, which should help a a lot of people. I know we've received ours already. You got to follow the rules, but that's another thing you can do. So I do kind of laugh at these people like, oh, I'm just not going to pay the rent. No, that's illegal. You got to pay the rent, but talk to your landlord, talk, talk to your banker to make sure you have a deal that you both agree on. Absolutely. And I, we covered that just last week with a large property management company. They said within hours of don't pay your rent or your, your leasehold, he was getting phone calls from tenants going, is it true? I don't have to pay my rent. And, he's, and he said the same thing that you didn't know. It doesn't give you a pass. 
But what he's seeing is this so-called trickle-down effect where he's not getting paid, so there are people who aren't paying the mortgages. And it all goes way down to who's holding the note. Are they going to walk away from it? Turns out, no, the banks will just renegotiate the loans and always add that interest that didn't get paid onto the back end of the note that we're seeing. We're talking with Brent Wilsey of the Wilsey Asset Management, the new norm. What does that mean? Brent, we were talking about restaurants and in my North San Diego County area. Shout out to Fish House Veracruz. They're staying in business, but they're losing money doing curbside delivery of fresh fish. And if I was to ever be asked, what does a drug deal look like? This would be probably what it looked like. They come out with a wrapped package, gloves and everything, hand it to me, and I give them cash and drive away. They're staying in business providing fresh fish, but they also told me that they're losing money and they spend $350 a week on gloves. Every time they do an order, they're changing gloves and they're barely surviving, keeping some of their staff employed. I'm really concerned about all the restaurants out there, how many of them will actually be able to come back. Do you really think that there's going to be enough money for all these small businesses to, to get a piece of this pie, considering that they ran out of money in, in a matter of hours in the first round of the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP? The PPP did hit some obstacles, we'll call it, and uh, and they have said that if we need more, we will do more, but they had some businesses getting it, shouldn't have gotten and so forth, so it's got to kind of back up a little bit on that plan, but I think eventually we will get more. I do want to say for that restaurant, I, I think they need to shop around $350 a week for gloves. Gosh, are they velvet gloves? What kind of gloves <laughs> are they getting that? I can barely find a pair of gloves to put on just one pair, but they're going through that many in a week. That was what they told me about what they are doing. And, of course, they're down the restaurant row area where I live. And all of those restaurants are severely impacted. I have my sea bass. I don't want it given to me in a styrofoam box and I get it home and it's cold. I like to enjoy it when I'm sitting down in the restaurant and it's warm. Yes. Sea bass cold is just not the same. Warm it up doesn't work either. And no. <laughs> one thing I'd like to see, too, John, is, is that uh, I know they do this in Palm Desert. Hopefully, I have our fingers crossed that our governor here in California, pretty soon, very, fairly soon, say yes, we're going to go to phase three, I think it is for him, to where we will start opening restaurants. But gosh, at least let people, I know I'm radio here, but I'm going to say it anyways, uh, this past weekend, my fiance and I, we went to a restaurant in Scripps Ranch and couldn't eat in the restaurant, obviously, but they had this courtyard that was right next to that. Now, they did have the chairs all kind of locked up with these chains. Well, we just kind of jumped over the chains and kind of sat the chairs over the chains. And it's like, that yeah, was so nice. <laughs> and no one came by and said anything. I mean, there was nothing wrong with sitting outside. It has been proven that COVID-19 is not very contagious outside. So at least let the restaurants open an outside patio, let people sit on the sidewalks, do something. Because you're right, they are losing money right now. It's very hard to pay the rent. They can't do nearly as many meals when you have, I don't know, 50, 60 tables in there. You can't keep up, you know, having people come up to, to pick up their, their food and so forth. It can help, but they're not going to reach break even at that point. They've got to do more. Continuing in the restaurant row type conversation here, and then we'll move on to other areas here. Is I have an attorney coming on next week to talk about the legal issues of the government being able to come in and tell you how you have to do business now. Can they legally come in through the health code and say, well, you know, that property that you had 100 tables, well, now you can only operate with 70. 
can they really do that to you? If you want to find out what they can do, well, ask an attorney. He'll gladly share that opinion and uh, go after the state on that. So we'll be covering that in another serving of Business Soup. You know, you mentioned about the politics. And California is a plethora of opportunities for those of us on radio to talk about things that they do. The unintended consequences of what comes out of their mouth on, if you don't play by our rules, we are going to take away your rights. With that which is happening, do you see these actions that are happening and all the money that is being thrown at business? When you print that much money, do you see the possibility or the likelihood of inflation happening if it be on a regional or a national or worldwide basis? How can you throw that much money and not create inflation? Well, we have to remember, John, that inflation is caused by too much money chasing too few goods. And right now we don't have that situation I don't believe we'll have it in six months either because people are getting money. It is sitting on the sidelines, but we're not going to have people, 100% of people just jump back to the way things were before. We're going to people be cautious. Now people say, oh, I, I need to keep a little bit of money, a little bit extra now on the sidelines. So we're not going to have that situation yet. I won't talk about 2021 yet, but we could see in 2021 perhaps inflation then because there will be a lot of money in the economy. And I've not checked uh, yet. I think we talked about last time, M1, M2, the money supply was over $20 trillion. I am anxious to see what it is for the month of April. I haven't seen those numbers yet. I think they come out mid-month. But how much money is on the sidelines? But I, I don't think people are going to go right back to spending. They do have a lot of money on the sidelines. There's still going to be people that are still scared that won't spend. So therefore, we're not going to have that situation. It's going to take time to get people up to where they feel comfortable they start spending, I think, a worst-case scenario for inflation looking at the summer of 2021. We're talking with Brent Wilsey of Wilsey Asset Management. And Brent, I want to move on to the asset aspect of the world here. There are many opportunities that make themselves available in situations or in crisis opportunities such as what we're going through right now. I've stepped into opportunities that I never would have even envisioned because of it. What are you seeing in the world of asset management and opportunities where you're advising your clients to go for it? Are they buying cash flows? Are they buying equities? Are they buying real estate? What direction are you following? There's many things open to people. And and what I do kind of cautious people at is look at what's on sale. Look what's not doing well now, because if you look down the road just six months, keep in mind that that'll bring us up until eh, just about December. Well, at that point in time, everybody else or the markets are looking at June of 2021. So a couple of things I tell people to look at is look in the restaurant industry. We talked about that, how they have problems, but I think your bigger companies will get through it. But you got to check their balance sheet. Make sure they don't have a lot of debt because they do have a tough hole here for maybe the next six months or so. If they're really late in debt and can't pay their bills, stay away from that restaurant company. But there's some big ones like Cheesecake out there, Darden Restaurants. We've been kind of looking a little bit of preparing. We've not bought any yet, but that's one area we're looking at. The other great area is a travel industry. We know that's been beaten up. And do people really think that no one's going to travel again? We did a great post on our, our social media about uh, would you go cruising again? Because Carnival Cruise Line does have, I believe, six cruises are going to do uh, first of August. Mixed response. Some people say, yes, I would do it again. No, I wouldn't do it. And I'm telling people, I think on those cruises, August 1st from Carnival Cruise Lines, they'll probably be the, the most cleanest, germ-free place in the world because you know they're going to have people probably walking behind you cleaning everything you do. <laughs> they cannot afford to have any risk there. So, um, but, but we'll see that come back as well. So there's a lot of travel companies out there that are beaten up dramatically. 
airlines, another thing. Um, we will get through that. I, I saw an interview with Gary Kelly, the CEO of uh, Southwest Airlines, talking, saying about keeping that middle seat empty. Such common sense. It goes now, if a grandfather comes in with a grandson, we're not going to tell him your grandson needs to sit in the other aisle. Um, so that's a common sense thing we need to get back to. Uh, we will do that. You'll see the airlines come back. It'll take a while. But when we invest, you know, don't look at what's going to happen next week or next month. But but you're buying businesses. Where will that business be? Six, 12, 18 months from now? I mean, there was companies that we bought back in 2008, 2009, the worst time ever. And we had profits on those companies still. We bought them back then 10, 12 years ago. We're now still up four, 500% on those businesses. That's what I like to do is look at where that business will grow longer term. Where do you see the real estate market, whether it be income producing or single family detached? We just invested in our company in a, a medical property REIT because that's one area that's been beaten up as well because you can't do the elective surgeries. And this company owns hospitals and surgical centers. Well, they've been beaten up. Uh, we looked at this company probably like a year ago. We liked the business, very well-run business, but it was too expensive. It was trading around $24, $25 a share. Well, we've been picking that up under 17 and now we're going to yield the six and a half percent on that. So we like the medical property type areas. I would definitely stay away from commercial property. Too many unknowns there. I think it was kind of overblown before. But look at what you're doing at. Maybe storage property REITs could be another one because maybe people are going to store more. So there are some good REITs out there. Always check the fundamentals. Make sure they're not too heavy in debt. Make sure they have cash flow. And then really try to understand the business. How can that business grow over the next two, three, four, maybe five years? Speaking of growing, I know your position on the cannabis market there. They have their problems. Is there anything about the cannabis market that you do like? I don't like the business because they're just too easy of access to get in that business. The only thing keeping that business in check is that you have the states that require licensing and so forth. Now, if those states say, gee, we need more revenue, let's open it up for more people. Wow, your supply is going to grow. The demand may stay the same. Prices will fall. What we're seeing that can kind of happen already. So there's nothing I really like about that business yet. I know it is a business that's not going to go away. I know that we're not going to stop smoking marijuana, you know, next week or something. It's here to stay. But as a business goes, just too easy access to that. And, and what other business can you just grow in your own backyard? Like, yeah, I'll, I'll grow, I think you can grow what, four plants? Well, well, that's terrible for business because I don't even need the companies if I can grow it myself. True. You take the, the middleman and, the, and the, the cash flow out of it by growing it yourself. Now, in the gold panning days, in the gold rush days, it was the guys who provided the services to the gold prospectors that made the money. Is there more money in the services of the cannabis industry, in particular, those who will be able to finally process the cash that the cannabis outfits come into? Is there more money in the service of the cannabis, or do you see it in the cannabis? That's a good idea, uh, the services, because, again, you talk about the cash, if they got to do certain things with the cash. I can't think about the services that they would need uh, for cannabis, but that is one way to look at it because they can do well whether they're making money or not in those cannabis shops. But I can't think of other things that would, would actually be like a service to it. I mean, it was very easy with the gold. You know, the picks and shovels is what was, was making all the money. Cannabis, I'm just not familiar enough with that industry to say this is like a pick and shovel of the cannabis industry. I happened to have been to one of their conferences and I was overwhelmed by the products that were made available to the cannabis industry and, and the alternatives and everything. And I was blown away, literally, by the business of cannabis. 
out there in Las Vegas. Of course, where else would it be but in Las Vegas? As to other things such as the offerings, the IPOs, anything of interest? We've always stayed away from IPOs, and that's, uh, people don't know, it's an initial public offering. Many times they're overhyped, and especially now, John, it's changed quite a bit. 10, 15 years ago, there was some benefits because you got in kind of on the ground floor. Now, if you look at these companies, they're waiting a lot longer to be released to the public, which means a lot of the value has already been gone. So we've seen that with Uber. We've seen that with Lyft. There's other ones I can't think off the top of my head. And the thing I've never liked about IPOs is they don't really have a record yet. I, I want to see what their cash flow has been for the last three, five years. I want to see how they've done in good markets. I want to see the earnings. What's their balance sheet like? And you get some of that information on the IPOs, but we like to get as much as we can before we invest in a company. But the IPO, it is kind of almost like it's not quite a blind investment, but you don't have all the information. And that's what kind of worries me. So I've always said I did an IPO one time, gosh, I think 20 years ago for a guy. We did it. It was $50 the IPO. I think a month later it was at 10. I said, that's it. Now we're going to yes. do an IPO again. You just can't follow them very well. And a lot of people make money on them, but I'm just going to stay away. Too risky for our firm. Well, everybody wants to get in on the ground floor. And what few realize is that by the time it goes to an IPO, there's at least three other fundraisers that occurred for after Friends, Family, and Fools. And you had your, <laughs> your angels, and then you had your first, second, and third round of fundraising, typically. And then they go to IPO. And that's usually where the early stage investors get their payout. And, you know, John, one comment I want to make on that as well, because a lot of times when you see like, oh, the IPO was like 50%. Well, what they do is they don't take the market price. You might have an IPO that came out, their price was maybe 50, but it started trading at 85. So you couldn't get it at 50, but the media makes it so like, yeah, gee, they were about 50% from their IPO price, which no one got. The real price was the first price on the market, the 85, not the $50. So I always hate how they hype that price because it's not real. It reminds me of in the small cap industry, what is often or affectionately called the pump and dump. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brent, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on this serving of business soup. Brent Wilsey from the Wilsey Asset Management, one of California's leading asset management companies located in the beautiful community right here in San Diego County. Brent Wilsey, thanks for joining us again on this serving of business soup. Thanks for having me, John. I hope to have you again soon. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>